years. As long as you get married. I need that wedding. I need some beauty and some music and some place cards before I die. I saw that going differently in my mind. You know what's wrong with you? No, what? Welcome to The Dating Debrief. I'm your host, Thomas Tucker. Here we try to provide a safe environment for people to share their experiences with looking for love and intimacy. I interview people of all walks of life on this show, and while I neither condone nor condemn their behavior, the purpose is to share their stories with the rest of you so we can all better understand one another. This podcast endeavors to create a safe and respectful LGBTQIAC loving space where we listen with love and respect to people of all races, faiths, walks of life, sexual preferences and identities, and where we stress consent, understanding, respect for others, and love between all people. This podcast may contain profanity or descriptions of triggering events as we explore some of the trauma that some of our guests have experienced. Remember, you can stop listening at any time. Please help us provide an ongoing, supportive, and soul-searching environment to delve deeper into people's personal experiences with dating, frustrations, celebrations, challenges, and learn a little bit about how others are looking for love and long-term romantic connection. Welcome to The Dating Debrief. Today our guest is Emily, a 23-year-old student living in Austin, Texas, who has recently found her way out of a once-promising relationship. Once she chooses someone, Emily's love is sincere and full. However, in her recent relationship, she experienced an initial overwhelming barrage of love signals from her partner, only to have that attention and validation sharply decline once she made the move to live with her partner. Emily teaches us about the dangers of the upfront love bomb and how to look for signs of insecurities and emotional instability in a new relationship. She reminds us that the packaging does not always match the product, that it is important to wade into getting to know someone gradually while making sure both of you feel validated and heard. It can be heartbreaking to find yourself in a relationship where you start off in limerence and then it fades. What do you do? What happens when the conversation and validation sharply decline? What happens when your person takes away the attention after flooding you with affection initially? Emily tells her story and shares her truth on this episode, and invites us to come along with her as she re-examines her experience. So you're, how, how old are you now? So I am 22. I actually turned 23 um, on September 9th. So that's in uh, roughly a week or so. Um, wow. Yeah, pretty young. And, and you know, uh, you know our friend Sandy. I do know Sandy. Yeah. Um, I actually met her when I was dating her roommate, Jared, um, last year. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how we met. And then we became, you know, just 
super good friends pretty instantly. You know, we're into the same things. You know, we're into like witchy things and astrology and, you know, everything like that. And it was just really nice because like I, I know at the time, you know, we both didn't really have like a ton of girlfriends. So we just like immediately were like not best friends. <laughs> like this is my person I, yeah I will this is you. this is my girl person yeah pretty much <laughs> uh yeah until we got into a little bit of an altercation during the whole breakup with you know her roommate and everything like that um and we didn't talk for a while until you know actually a couple of weeks ago and then we just got super close again well not as close as we used to but you know it's kind of hard because you know she's got the kids and you know she's with dom and you know working and doing all that kind of stuff so yeah, she's a she's a busy woman, and yeah, she's super busy. You guys had an altercation when she uh, well, when she broke up with her ex. No, when I broke up with her roommate, uh, we kind of had an altercation. I was, you know, lied to about you know what Sandy you know said or did, and I kind of uh, yelled in her face, um, and then she just you know didn't talk to me for a long time. Like we just like weren't friends. Well, I mean, oh, no. it was pretty much my doing. I pretty much like broke up with her in like a friend sense, and you know she was really upset about that. And she was just mad. Um, but, you know, all that's kind of sorted out now. And, you know, we're we're working our way back up to uh, becoming super close again. Or at least th- that's, you know, my perception and my perspective. I mean, I, I would hope that that's the case. I mean, we want to we want to hold on to the people that that uh, that get us right. That, that yeah. actually. Yeah, for sure. And she has definitely yeah. been like a really good friend to me, you know, despite like everything that has happened because she was best friends uh with you know her roommate uh with jared i guess i don't know i don't i didn't plan on name dropping um you know whenever i went into this but yeah they were super good friends and so i remember there was a time when i was like you know very untrusting of like oh you know we're friends but at the end of the day you're his friend like you know i kind of felt like a fish out of water in that situation sometimes um, because you know, that was just a really fucked up relationship. Just like, your relationship with Jared or your relationship yeah, with Sandy? No, my relationship with Jared was definitely a really, you know, fucked up relationship. It didn't start off that way, but you know, it kind of grew to this really toxic relationship that completely flipped my world upside down in the worst way ever imaginable. Um, and so I'm still trying to like heal from that. And that was last year, I believe. So when yeah. you were 21. Yeah. Yeah. I was 21. Um, and we actually met, we were in our philosophy class together. And so we met through school and that's kind of how I met Jared. Which school? Uh, ACC. So we were both going to ACC oh, yeah. at the time. What did, was it like an intro to philosophy class or was it like yeah, it was, or? it was straight up intro to philosophy, like <laughs> straight up. <laughs> that's a pretty good, that's a pretty cool way to meet somebody though. I mean, there's, there's good stuff to talk about. Oh yeah. But like, I actually found that he didn't really like to talk about that kind of stuff. And like, I'm over here, like, you know, let's talk about like philosophers. Let's talk about real world things. And he's just like, nah, I just prefer to be, you know, blissfully ignorant. And I'm just over here like, 
but I want to know the truth and I want to have these big conversations and I want to talk about all these things. And, you know, that would definitely, we came to a head on a lot of conversations like that. And then it wasn't until like the very end that he would actually try and like, you know, start up these conversations with me. But then by that point, I was just like, yeah, no, like I'm done with this. And I was You're like, nice, nice try though. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty much over it. <laughs> So do you, do you want to talk about that relationship? Um, I do actually, but, um, you know, it was just, I, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, if you have any questions for me. About no, it. let's, 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 let's talk about it. I mean, you, you were originally attracted to Jared, I guess. Um, I, in, I was, yeah. I, in the I, class. Yeah, I definitely in the class, you know, I mean, Still, I mean, the high school, you know, ways as like the habits that you have are still hard to kick. You know, you go out, walk into a class and especially when all of your classes are like new people and, you know, there are some familiar faces, um, you know, you're always going to like look around to see like, you know, especially if you're single, you're like, well, where are the attractive people? Like, you know, like, could I possibly, you know, meet someone like romantically? And I remember at the time, when I took that philosophy class, I remember seeing him, but I was like, oh man, he just looks like some fuck boy or he's, you know, already in a relationship. Like he just kind of looked like that type of guy. So I was just like, nah, like I'm here to learn anyway. Like I'm not here to like meet like a romantic, you know, partner, but it wasn't until I think April, whenever he started making eye contact with me and, you know, I could tell that he like would want to talk to me after class. And, you know, one day he like, finally caught up to me, hit me with a notebook on my shoulder and was like, Hey, I think you're really cute. Can I have your number? And I was like, I mean, yeah, sure. Why not? Like, you know, let's, let's sure. Let's text, let's talk. And I remember at first I kind of found him annoying because he was so persistent and I was just like, dude, like, I don't have time for this. Like my work sucks. Like, you know, I'm kind of like really struggling. I was in a really bad place when I met him. And so I think for me, like, I just wanted to be with someone because, you know, my best friend, she, you know, was dating this guy that I really did not care for. And I just did not like him for her. Like, I did not think that that was a good relationship. And then my other, you know, really close friend was in rehab at the time. And I had moved, you know, to West Campus. And I was pretty lonely. I was extremely lonely. And I was being bullied at work, too, which I found super odd. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was just not in a good place. And then, you know, finally, we I gave in and I was like, yeah, well, I'll hang out. And he had been messaging me for two weeks and every single time I would like dodge him and, you know, just be like, yeah, no, like, or come up with some sort of excuse. But then finally one day I was just like, yeah, fuck it. Like, let's hang out. And then we hung out and, you know, I was just excited to like be with someone and, you know, have that attention, I guess, that, you know, I just kind of you know, three days after that, we were like in a full blown relationship and like spending the night at each other's houses. And it just became, you know, just super quick, like together, just like super, super fast. And so hmm. it wasn't, and I could tell like day three, I was like, I had this like gut wrenching feeling in my, you know, gut. And I just remember thinking, 
he, he's kind of a control freak. Like, you know, this guy like needs a lot of attention and I don't know if I can necessarily give him all this attention. Like I need to work on myself a little bit more. I need to get myself like more in a better situation so that I can, you know, better show up for the relationship because I do like this person a lot, but just super high maintenance at the same time, like needing constant validation and, you know, stuff like that. And at first, you know, we would communicate super well, but then, you know, a month goes by and we started getting into fights and, you know, then we, I'd moved in with him because my lease was up and, you know, it was either go back home to mom or like, you know, move in with your boyfriend that you think you're in love with. And Mm. I moved into the house with, um, him and Dom and Sandy and, you know, everyone else was in the house. I think Matt moved out shortly after that. No, he moved out way before I moved in. Um, and so I moved in and that's whenever things got really worse because I felt really isolated from, you know, my family and my friends and, you know, having someone talk in your ear and like, tell you, you know, whenever you confide in someone like, Hey, you know, I'm kind of upset with my friends, you know, about X, Y, and Z, like, this is kind of what I'm feeling. And then having them confirm it in your ear without having really know them. And then Mm. kind of further isolating you away from all your family and friends. It was very much so like, I was floating through space in this uncharted territory. And I was just trying to grip onto something. And I felt like I was just falling constantly. And so while I was going through all these different, you know, transitions and it was the first time, you know, living with a significant other, it was, you know, definitely not a good experience. I would say like, I think the highlight of my time living there was actually hanging out with Sandy, you know, like we would wake up during the day and hang out and, you know, everyone would kind of come and go in the house. And so I had people to talk with and I really loved everyone in the house but it was, um, yeah, it got really, really just toxic and shitty, like towards the end of the summer, like we got into really big fights and, um, I don't, I don't want to get into too much detail, but it got to the point where, um, it was just really difficult. Um, And I felt really trapped and it was a very abusive relationship. We, we were both just super young and I don't think know how to be in a relationship. Um, Mm. But I definitely, I do not like that person. I do not think that that person was a good person. And I think that I learned a lot from that relationship and I definitely um, learned a lot about myself in the relationship and kind of, you know, what it is that I really look for in a person. How did the, um, you mentioned you got into a lot of big fights and that they started about a a month in, how did the fights start? It was always about, you know, um, I don't know how they would start. Like I have a lot of guy friends too. And I think, and he's a jealous person. Like he, you know, would tell me stories about his previous relationships, about how he would be cheated on and you know, I remember like, I've never cheated on anyone before. And I don't like, I I hate cheaters. I think it's selfish and, you know, awful if you cheat on someone. Like if you want to go be a hoe, be a hoe, but don't bring someone else's feelings into the mix, you know. But Mm -hmm. there are only a couple reasons why people cheat. And it's like, one, they just 
like that's just who they are or two they're lacking something in the relationship to where they have to go outside of it to supplement that and you know being like too stuck or too afraid to leave that current situation so I think for him he would I would feel like he would project a lot of his insecurities onto me Mm. And he was, he would compare me a lot to, you know, his ex-girlfriend, Kayla, like his big ex. And I remember that really upset me, you know, he would draw parallels to us and like, you know, she would party a lot and she would do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, she's had a lot of partners as well. So therefore you must be just like her. And I'm like, no, because I'm a completely different person. And we would just have constant fights about that. And I think it started to go downhill when you know my ex came back into town for a job but we had remained friends like we had already like put closure to the situation decided to both move on and like no we're just going to be friends and so he came into town and he was at Barton Springs and so I went to go hang out with him for a little bit and then I told him I told Jared about it and he got super upset and super sad and then that's whenever the controlling bearing down like really Mm -hmm. started to show its face and I just remember I would fight him and fight him and fight him until like you know give me my freedom but then I also didn't want to upset him at the same time and so it was like I was in this situation where I was damned if I did and I was damned if I didn't so And that definitely kind of was the constant theme whenever I moved in with him. Hmm. Yeah. So you started, you mentioned that you got to, one of the reasons why you, okay, there's a lot to unpack, but it's it's fascinating. And um, you mentioned that one of the reasons that you said yes, whenever he was asking you out over and over and over again, and one of the reasons that you said yes whenever he first asked you if if he could have your number was because your best friend was in a toxic relationship. You weren't really connecting there. Um, another one of your friends went to rehab and you were just very lonely. So you wanting to be in this relationship, just wanting to have another person around totally makes sense that, that you would want another person to find you valuable to want to spend time with you. Um, but it sounds like as soon as you started spending time with them, that the quality of that time was not good. No, and then- yeah, exactly. It just, it, it wasn't very good. Like it started out so good. And I remember we just wanted to be around each other all the time and, you know, talk to each other and tell each other, you know, our deepest, darkest secrets, our fears and everything like that. And there was a time when it was just so blissfully just beautiful and you know we were open and honest and we had good communication but then all of a sudden it was just like as soon as I moved in I remember that's whenever he you know started you know playing video games more and I didn't really feel that attention as much and it just kind of broke my heart a little bit because I needed my partner there you know to kind of help me with this transition because he had already lived with a significant other before he already knew kind of had how to act but he was putting how to act in like a previous toxic, you know, situation living with someone onto me. And I was like, hey, no, but like, I need you here. I need you, you know, I need my partner here because this is completely brand new to me. And if this is what living with someone, you know, your partner and your significant other is like, then holy shit, this is the most loneliest existence I've ever had. Mm. And it was just very much so 
I don't know. It was like a flip. It was like all of a sudden, like it was the classic narcissistic relationship, you know, like the beginning, it was definitely like love bombing, you know, texting me from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep, like even after the first date that we had. And so being just like all of a sudden overwhelmed with all of this attention and love from the get go was just, it really just takes you up and like, you know, you feel like you're in like a tornado. You don't know which way's up, which way's down, but like you're happy about it. And especially from that state of loneliness that I was in, I was just very happy to, you know, be sucked in, you know, to a world and kind of, you know, learn about, you know, someone else and to kind of just be swept away. I just allowed myself to be swept away. And like looking back now, I don't know if I would change anything because I really like the you know, lessons that I learned from it, but I definitely feel like I could have done things differently and Hmm. allowed for more space to exist in the relationship. But then there's a part of me that thinks, well, this was going to happen anyway, like say like a year goes by and then like you did decide to move in with him, the same thing would have happened, you know? So it's just kind of like, I don't know. It, It was just a weird, weird situation, but it was definitely much so like a, narcissistic relationship because once the love bombing stage like kind of ended then it was like you know the verbal attacks kind of started and you know he would constantly if I was out like say with my family like I think one time I was out drinking with my cousin for the day and I got too drunk and I ended up you know falling asleep and I didn't wake up until 2 30 in the morning I woke up I checked my phone. There was no text or call of like, are you safe? Like what happened to you? Like none of that. So I got an Uber back home and he was sitting up extremely mad. And he was like, you were out fucking cheating on me. Like, I know that that's what you were doing. And I was like, I was with my cousin. He's like, yeah, but y'all are 21. Y'all could have gone out. Y'all could have done this, that, and the third. Like, and I didn't know, like you, like it was just constant. Like it didn't stop. And it was no matter what I did and what things I said, it just didn't work itself out. And I wasn't heard or listened to at all because we had different ways of communicating at that point. Then we just started pointing fingers at each other and blaming each other. And we did that for, God, I want to say like two or three months. Were you hoping that it would get better? Oh, of course I was hoping it would get better because, you know, after a while, like I did choose him, you know, once I, you know, like a month was in, I chose him, you know, I genuinely fell in love with this person and I really wanted it to get better because whenever it was good, it was so good. And, you know, but And I wanted that. I wanted to keep that, you know, alive. And then, you know, somewhere along the lines, things just kind of got a little hazy, you know, it's like, how did it get to where you have two people that seemingly, you know, understood each other? Because at the beginning, you know, I felt completely heard and validated and I heard him and validated him as well. And we just got each other. Like we understood the same pain, like, you know, we were good for each other and good together. And it was so like, you know, there would be times where we were driving and we would literally just like, you know, sigh, like 
of relief like oh my gosh I found my person this is amazing like we were both like on the same page and then I just think you know the insecurities and the doubts kind of crept in and they just kind of tore us apart but um you know I was definitely hoping for it to get better and what I realized is that we just needed space and we just moved way too fast way too quickly Mm. yeah it, it sounds like he was definitely struggling with a number of insecurities and probably still feeling the rejection from the previous relationship, considering he was making comparisons between you and his, his ex. Um, and it sounds like you were looking for him to fill more than just a boyfriend role. I mean, from, from the beginning, you were really looking to him to provide company, not just companionship and, and to provide a loss of friendship and make up for that deficit. Um, what, what do you think, um, what do you think was the first time when you were spending time together that you felt not safe or that you felt that something was not on a pink cloud and perfect? What was, what were some of the first signs? The first sign was probably maybe a week or so after we started dating. And, you know, he like came over to my house and it was like a very, you know, small argument. But, you know, he was really upset with, you know, how much I was drinking. And I was drinking a lot at the time. You know, I was sad and I was lonely and I, you know, I just turned 21. So I was like, it's easily accessible to me. And when you're 21, like, all you want to do is drink. Like, even if you're drinking well before 21, when you're 21, it's like, oh, I can literally go to any bar or even at a restaurant, I can order a drink whenever. And it's, it's just the thing you do when you're that age. And he was 20. So he was younger than me. He had just turned 20 a few months before and I was going to turn I, I was turning 22 that year. And so for me, I'd been drinking for a while casually like that. And he started to make me feel bad about it and, you know, kind of brought on this issue and like saying like, oh, you're an alcoholic, like you drink all this time. And I'm like, no, I'm bored and I'm 21. <laughs> like and I, I, I can admit, though, that he was right, like. I wasn't more so that I had a drinking problem. It's more so I have an emotional problem and I use drinking as a coping mechanism. And so I don't think he went about that situation in the right way and talked to me about it um, in a constructive and cohesive way. Um, I mean, he's a 20 year old kid and you know, he was killing it at work. He had an awesome car and he was about to get an even cooler car that goes super fast. And, you know, he got promoted to salary and, you know, you're 20 years old and you're killing it like that. You know, of course you're going to develop a little bit of an ego. Of course you're going to think that you're, you know, hot shit. And so I don't think he realized that the way he would communicate would be as cold and callous as it was like he, his brain just wouldn't slow down enough for him to, you know, kind of be a little bit more gentle. And I think Mm. that that was probably one of the first times that I felt like I wasn't, you know, safe or accepted because I remember he accepted, he wanted me to change. He wanted me to be this, you know, girl that didn't really need, you know, to drink or, you know, go to shows and like have a drink casually, you know, like at a show or a festival. And, um, you know, 
it just, he wanted me to be something that I wasn't. And so he rejected a lot of parts of me and my past. And instead of like saying like, okay, I see that you have problems. Let me help you work through them. It was more so like a, oh, you know, I'm going to shame you for doing this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you don't change, then I'm not going to give you attention or affection. Like it was like a punishment and it, it just, it just illuminated a lot of things to me. Um, and since then I would probably say that, um, my substance, um, I guess abuse or bad coping mechanisms has definitely, you know, calmed down a little bit. Um, maybe not during this quarantine because it's a very stressful time and I'm a server and the culture and, you know, the service industry is after work, you know, you go and you get a drink with everybody. And so unfortunately I'm still, you know, kind of stuck in that loop, but it's not like I'm sitting at home, you know, drinking by myself. Like I only really drink with friends. And then once the night's over, I come home and, you know, if my mom has beer in the fridge, like I'll have one more before I go to bed or something like that. Like, I guess that's the only times I really drink alone, but you know, he just, he would just say little things and do little things like that. That just made me feel like I wasn't safe or accepted or anything like that. And that was very, very challenging. You used a pretty powerful word. You said shame, like that he would shame you. Um, did you feel judged and did you feel like he was being a little condescending? Oh, absolutely. There were times when, you know, I, yeah, absolutely. There were times like that all the time. And, you know, I tried really hard. I tried so hard to, you know, kind of break out of it and to show him that, you know, I was getting better and that I wasn't doing these things. But even when I did that, it was just like, huh, like not really impressed. And so it was hard. It was just really hard. Like, you know, and then it got to the point where I could just tell that we weren't clicking anymore. And, you know, he was starting Mm -hmm. to to detach, but then he would say that he wanted to work on it. But then, you know, he would come home after work, immediately play games and like, then he'd eat and, you know, he'd want to have sex before bed and then immediately go to sleep. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm not just your, your big living, um, doll. Like, you know, I would like to spend time with you. And, you know, he watched a lot of anime. I watched a lot of more live action kind of things. So Mm. it wasn't until later in the relationship that I realized just how much we didn't really have in common, you know, like, he wanted someone to share his love of, you know, video games and anime and, you know, all these kind of things with, but, and then he would try to get me to like morph into that. And I would constantly tell him, you know, I'm never going to be this girl, you know, I'm never going to be this girl that you can just be badass and play video games with. Like, that's not who I am. I'm going to be the girl, you know, with her nose in a book and her headphones in her ear while you're doing that. Like, you know, that's kind of who I am, or I'm gonna, you know, kick back and watch, you know, Bates Motel or, you know, a new girl or anything like that. Like, I'm, you know, gonna be like more musical or more into books or, you know, or I'm just gonna, you know, play, play piano or play some sort of instrument. Like, that's just kind of like who I am. Like, I kind of gravitate towards those activities. But it wasn't, 
I don't know. It just almost seemed like he wanted me to be this kind of person. And he almost wanted to break like a party girl into like his perfect ideal girl. But then Mm -hmm. whenever he had his perfect ideal girl, he, you know, like, and he dated her like right before me, you know, he described her as boring. And, you know, if she ever hears this, you know, I'm sorry. Um, I, I don't know you. I don't think you're boring. But um, he would call her boring. And I constantly remember him saying, like, I just didn't feel it anymore. So I broke up with her. And then I went after you because you're more exciting and we have passion. And I was like, this is awful because what you're telling me about her is like she loved video games. She loved anime. She loved doing all these things with you. And you're saying how you want to spend time with someone who wants to do this. And you're trying to morph me into that kind of person. But then when you had that person, you didn't want it. So I was just constantly trying to like put two and two together. But it was like putting, you know, I don't know, odd numbers together and not getting the outcome that you wanted. And so, you know, instead of like putting two and two together and getting four, it's like putting like one and three together, like just two things that just, you know, or yeah, like one and uh, those end up to even numbers. I don't know. It's, it was just, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm kind of like rambling at this point. Um, But it's just like, it just didn't work. Or I guess a better analogy is like putting, you know, a square into a circle hole. Like it just, it's not going to work no matter how hard you try to shove it in there. It's not going to work. Did he break up with his ex-girlfriend in order to ask you out or Uh, did he, had they been apart for a little while? No. So they broke up kind of a few months before he asked me out, at least to my understanding. Um, And he was single for a little bit and then he decided to pursue me and I was like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, I'll date you and we'll see how it goes. But then whenever feelings got involved, it was, you know. It just progressed. Oh, yeah. I mean, those feelings, they'll snag you every time. I mean, it it, it sounded like you went on like three or four dates and then bam, you were in a relationship. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like he came over to my house one night and we went and we walked over to Torchy's Tacos uh, across the street from where I live. And uh, then afterwards, we watched a movie and he wanted to put on a scary movie. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll watch a scary movie. And then, you know, afterwards, you know, we realized that we liked each other. And it was like, bam, the next morning, you know, we were texting and and then we were in class together on that Thursday. And then he wanted me to come over to his house on that Friday and he wanted me to spend the night. And I ended up spending the entire weekend over at his house. And so it was just like, bam, like we just kind of became official on that Friday whenever I went over to his house. And it was it was definitely like a very sudden thing. It was very like, all right, this is it. This is happening. This is what we are. And I was just like, okay, I'm along for the ride. Like, I literally got swept up and I just think that, I don't know, maybe if I like slowed things down a little bit or, you know, remained just a little bit, like if I wasn't so desperate for, you know, companionship and company and, you know, trying to fill this hurt that I was feeling from, you know, my best friend Carly or, you know, my other friend, um, maybe I would have had a little bit more grounding about things. And I remember when my best friend Carly, she met him, she immediately was like, I don't like him. I don't like him for you. There's something weird about him. You know, I just don't have a good feeling about this. And we were actually getting closer. And, you know, 
I listened to Jared's advice of, you know, oh, she just uses me as her therapy whenever something's wrong with her relationship. And that's how I was feeling at the time, you know, like, oh, you only come to me whenever you're in a fight with your boyfriend. But then whenever y'all are fine, Mm -hmm. like, I don't hear from you. I don't get to see you. And, you know, I miss you. You don't invite me to come over and hang out with the both of you anymore. Like, what's going on? But she knew that I wasn't supportive of her relationship anymore. And she knew that I didn't like him. And of course, you're not going to bring someone in, you know, to that if you know that they don't like them. And so you just kind of isolate yourself that way. And so I isolated myself with Jared because I was like, you know what, fine, if you're going to go off and, you know, be with your shitty guy, like I'm going to, you know, deal with this relationship, you know, I'm going to, you know, fall in love myself and I'm going to get into a relationship and all the wrong reasons to get into a relationship. I, as I said that I'm realizing that, but, um, yeah, I was just so lonely and I was so hurt and he provided something for me that was very much so lacking in my life. Did um uh, was it your your friend's name is is Carly or what what was yeah, it was your yeah, friend's her name? Yeah, her name is Carly. Yeah. Okay, so your friend Carly, um when she said there's something weird about this guy. I don't know if this is a good guy for you. I don't know if I like this guy for you. I don't like this guy for you. Um you were hearing some of these red flags that she was that she was trying to communicate when she was trying to communicate these things did the fact that um she had been isolating in her relationship that she only called you when she had something wrong or needed counseling this happens a lot when people get into relationships and then they focus their priority their priorities shift to their person the the their significant other and then whenever something is either really great or really wrong, then they'll reach out to friends and share, but they don't share the everyday stuff with you anymore because it's like they have this single point of focus. They're sharing that that stuff. So she was a little bit more distant from you, but also you mentioned that you didn't like you didn't really like the guy that she had chosen, that that maybe he was a bad guy. Did any of that circumstance uh, kind of lessen the amount of credence that you gave to her words? Like, did it did it make her words less impactful on you when she said, I don't like this guy for you, given that you kind of saw that she was in a relationship that maybe wasn't so healthy and that you two were having communication problems? Well, I think that not necessarily saying that I didn't put any weight to her words, but I definitely, you know, it didn't cross my mind whenever she would say those things of like, oh, well, you're one to talk like, you know, you Uh are, you're, you're with a guy who actually told you, I would rather be miserable with you and own up to my promise of, you know, one day saying that I'm going to marry you, than you know, not follow through with my promise and go be happy. And whenever she told me that her boyfriend said that to her, I was like, why are you still with him? Like, if, okay, like you're with someone because y'all promised each other that y'all were going to get married. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And you deserve so much better. But it didn't, it didn't occur to me whenever she had told me, um, you know, what she said of like, oh, well, like I said, like you're one to talk. Like, obviously I considered her words, but you know, and I had already like seen the red flags too, but I was infatuated with this person at that point. Like nothing anyone could have said or done would have changed my mind about, you know, the guy. Like 
I even I, I do remember later that night because her brother was in town and we all went uh, to Sixth Street. And I remember later that night because her, her brother was definitely flirting with me that night. And I had a choice. I was like, okay, well, I can end things with this Jared guy. And, you know, I can maybe, you know, start something up with my friend's brother or, you know, because Carly was all about that. She was just like, I would much rather him be with, you know, you be with my brother. Like, that would be awesome. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know about that. That just kind of seems a little, it just, I don't know. It's, you're just asking for trouble, I feel like. But, you know, um, I just don't think that, I think she felt something in him before I could even really identify what it was. And it was just how controlling and just not suited for me that he was. And but, you know, at that point, I was already like, kind of sunk. I was like, Oh, well, I'm, he's been there for me, you know, when you weren't. And, you know, kind of. And yeah, so it was that kind of, you know, thing that was kind of what's been what was going through my head. I never really said that to her. um, But, you know, that was kind of what was going through my head at the time. Yeah. You used another really powerful word, which was you were infatuated. You were infatuated with this guy. And uh, I was curious, what what was it that caused the the emotions to shift so drastically between when you came over to watch the movie and you watched the scary movie and then the next day? Was that the night that you had sex? No, we didn't have sex on our first date. Um, we, I told him that I didn't want to because of, you know, my past. Like, because before him, I was, you know, kind of in entanglements. I was not necessarily, you know, sleeping around, but I wanted a relationship with someone. But all of my relationships were, you know, guys were interested in me that I wasn't really interested in, or I was interested in guys, but they weren't really that interested in me. And then mm-hmm. I would find someone and there would be, you know, sexual tension, easy flowing conversation, mutual interest, but then they would always be in love with some unobtainable girl. But then, you know, we'd start a friends with benefit situation. So I just got really tired of, you know, not being that girl that someone chose just as much as I chose them. You know, like, that's kind of like where I was like, okay, well, I know I want to be in a relationship. And so I was actually single and I was practicing celibacy um, for a few months before I actually um, met Jared um, because I wanted something real. I and I and I still feel this way. I you know I've been single since uh, May ish of this year. Yeah, May of this year. Um, and so um, yeah, I've just been before I met him you know, and that night that he came over and we had our date, um, I told him, I was like, I don't want to have sex with you. I would like to build something real with you. And I was constantly saying that in the beginning. I was saying, I want to build something real. I want to build something that lasts. And, you know, I want to actually take the time to build the foundation. And then Mm -hmm. he would say the same things like, this is what I want to do. But then yet it was just so fast that, you know, I kind of let him like push me into this relationship and like go as fast as possible because it was like so overwhelming the amount of, um, the amount of, what was it? Uh, attention that he was giving me. Yeah. We actually didn't have sex until a week after, 
um, we started dating because I was on my period and I was, I just don't like having sex on my period. Like that's just my personal preference. I think it's gross. I'm like, no, this is my time to be a lazy slug in my bed. Don't touch me. And so we didn't actually have sex for a while until after we started dating, like officially started dating. Um, and then I was honestly kind of disappointed when we had sex. Like it wasn't that great. <laughs> so Aww. I was just like, yeah. So it was like, obviously it got better, you know, with time, but you know, it was just a weird relationship. You, you struck on something that, that really hit a, a nerve with me whenever you said uh, that you were infatuated with them. And especially when you were talking about your, the love bombing that happened up front and um, you mentioned narcissistic behavior. Um, it's interesting that, that people who are diagnosed narcissists only, only consist about um are only uh, comprise about 1% of the population. So, so people with narcissistic personality disorder, uh, uh, MPD, um, are only about 1% of the population, but because there has been so much said and talked about in terms of narcissism in our society over the last, uh, I think 15 years, there's a lot of awareness around narcissistic behavior and, and what it looks like. And it's difficult for us to go, okay, that person, they're a narcissist, but we do know when something feels kind of that way. Yeah. You mentioned like love bombing and, and I find, I find this love bombing thing to be really fascinating. I've been reading a lot of books on attachment theory and, uh, listening to a lot of people's stories over the last couple of years. And they, a lot of attachment theory centers around these three different kinds of attachment. There's avoidant, avoidant, insecure. Yeah. My therapist has been talking and working with me on um, attachment theory, actually, because I tend to be more anxious. But then whenever I'm in a relationship with someone that's anxious, I become avoidant. And you kind of do this dance when it's anxious, avoidant uh, attachment. Yeah, that's an attachment style that some people call a wave attachment style. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, there's another, it's like people call it anxious, avoidant, or secure. And then other people call it like island wave. And then there's island wave and I forget what the other one is anyway. Um, but yeah, these, these attachment theories and it sounds like your anxious attachment. Um, I don't know if he has an avoidant attachment or if he also has anxious attachment. Oh no, He definitely swings more anxious and very anxious. So at the beginning of the relationship, we were both anxious. We were both just like, no, 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 we need all this reassurance. We need like all this. But then eventually it got to the point where, you know, then he became a little avoidant and I became super anxious. And then whenever I would be avoidant, he would become super anxious. And it was, we were just doing push this. And pull, push yeah, pull. yeah. And it was just, it was so bad. Even Sandy, like every single day, she was like, what are you going to do? Like, you guys just need to break up. Like, when are you going to do it? And, you know, and especially watching a true love case happen, like in your house, like right there next to you. And like, you're going through hell. And I just remember Sandy, she's just like, you know, I just want to be so happy. And I want to see you so happy. So we can both just be so happy together. And I was just like, I'm really trying here, Sandy, like, but Jared's just not working with me. It's his way or the highway. And if it's not his way, then he's gonna fucking yell at me. And like, I just I don't have any more fight left in me. Like, I can't do it. (laughs) Like, it it got to the point where I felt my soul dying. And yeah, no, it it got to a really bad point. And I remember my one of my old friends, he messaged me. What was it? um, A little bit around the time of my birthday. 
And we were talking and I was on the phone with him, you know, outside talking to him, asking him advice, you know, like explaining to him my, you know, relationship situation and how do I make it better and all this stuff. And then Jared caught me talking to him and I said it was a friend. I didn't lie. And, you know, then he looked through my phone when I was asleep and he was just like, you were flirting with him. You lied to my face and all this stuff. And I was like, I was getting advice to try and fix our relationship. And I didn't lie when I said that it was a friend because it was a friend. It is a friend. And so it, I, the next day he literally said that I deserve to be in the street with the trash and the garbage where I belong and that I deserve to be happy and I'm never going to find love and all this stuff. And it was the day before my birthday that he said all this stuff. And so I just remember I had a panic attack. I was crying. I called my mom and I said, mom, I need you right now. And I need to get out of this house. I think it was like six or seven in the morning or something like that. So I just booked it out of there. And after throwing on some random clothes and I just remember that lunch and, you know, I was telling my mom and she actually wrote down a pros and cons list and she was like, okay, pros, you cuddle. And then cons, like he pretty much rapes you. He verbally abuses you, immensely abuses you, like all of this stuff. And she's just like, Emily, I had to write a pros and cons list for you and look at, look at how starkly like, you know, different both sides are like one completely outbalances the other. And so I just remember sitting there like, okay, yeah, I'm going to decide like, you know, I'm going to talk to him. Like, I'm just going to figure it out. And she's, my mom became very worried about me at that point. She was like, I want to get you out of that house. Like, you know, you sound like a crazy person. You're obviously getting abused. And yet you're sitting here in front of me saying, but I love him. Like, my mom was genuinely really, really worried about me at that time because she had no idea because he, you know, made me feel like my mom was a terrible person. And so it wasn't until like, it got to the point where I was like, mom, I need you that, you know, she kind of stepped up and like, really, you know, became a great anchor for me and almost like a very comforting, like, you know, safe place for me to land. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds very um, tumultuous. Everything sounds very up and down. And also that he was kind of isolating you from, from the other uh, loved ones and people around you. She, she even mentioned things like he was basically raping you. Did you feel that that was true? Um, so I want to avoid um, really putting out any of those big words. Like I want to avoid calling him a narcissist or, you know, a rapist or anything like that. But I will say there were points in time where my body started to not want to be intimate with him. It was mm. the weirdest thing. Like we were fighting so much and we were just not in a good place. And he was the kind of guy that was like, I want to have sex when I want to, when I want to have sex. And like, after that, I want to, you know, I don't want to like cuddle or like talk to you or spend quality time with you. I'm going to go play video games or I'm going to fall asleep. So it got to the point where I was like, if the only time you're going to start paying attention to me is whenever you want sex. And then when I say no, you continue to touch me and bully me into a yes. I feel very violated. I feel yeah. un like, I feel completely disrespected. And I remember one time I was talking to Sandy about it. And I was like, Sandy, there are times when I really don't want to have sex. And then he keeps touching me anyway, until I say yes, until I say, yeah, sure, let's have sex. 
but it's just like even then like I didn't you know it would it would hurt sometimes and then finally like it got to the point where we were just having so much sex and I got a UTI from it and he would still want to when I wasn't okay and so that just showed me that like he didn't really care about my well-being all he cared about was what I could provide or do for him how can I you know bring him pleasure and all that stuff and then you know, whenever I was telling Sandy about it, she got so angry. She was just like, Emily, that's fucking rape. Like, Mm. you know, and she was the one that and I was just like, I mean, I didn't really see it as that way. I just, you know, like, then it got to the point where my body was actually I was like, don't fucking touch me. Stay away from me, you know? Yeah, sex is a very intimate uh, act, and and even though it takes place in our body, I think I think the intimacy flows uh, through our through our emotional awareness, through our physical awareness, our mental awareness, and then back into our body. There's this mind body loop, right? To oh, yeah. whenever whenever I feel anxiety, I can feel it in my stomach and up in my chest, and then I feel it in my head, and I'm like, yeah. I'm anxious, and then it feeds back to my stomach, and yeah. I'm like, ah, and it just kind of is this terrible feedback loop. It it sounds like you had. Have you ever seen one of those videos where like somebody pushes on a tree and it shakes a little and then they wait for it to wobble back towards them and then they give it uh, resonance? They they push again and it builds the wave and the tree is suddenly shaking really fast or or one of those bridges where the, the wind hits it just right and it starts to wobble because yeah. it's it's re- it's resonating. It sounds like this this emotional charge this emotional dysfunction in your relationship kept building to where these waves of the lows and the highs and the lows and the highs and these these push pulls just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah and it was like coming out in waves where it was like the first wave okay it was just like a little you know of course people fight and it's healthy to fight and then it just was like you know, it'd be still for a little bit and we'd be like, oh, blissfully happy. And then the next one would come and it'd be a little bit, you know, bigger the next time. And then it just got to the point where um, he actually threatened to hold all of my stuff until I paid him back $5,000 after he had, you know, told me that he, that I didn't need to work, that he was making enough money to take care of both of us. And, you know, I believed him. And then, you know, whenever I suddenly decide, oh, I want to break up and he's just like, okay, but I'm going to hold all of your clothes and your belongings until you pay me back $5,000. I was like, oh my fucking God, you're a monster. (laughs) Like Mm. this is, I just remember thinking, I was like, what the hell do I do in this moment? And then that's whenever he lied to me and he was just like, even Sandy said that, you know, you have to pay me back $5,000. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, Sandy is default Jared's friend. For her to say that, I was like, I felt super betrayed because after the whole, you know, incident with her and Matt, and it was a messy breakup, I was like, you're really gonna like say that after you went through the exact situation. And I just felt super betrayed. And so that's whenever I like screamed under her face, whenever she walked into the room and I was like, you're not my fucking friend. But, you know, it, it, it wasn't until like a few weeks ago that she was like, yeah, yeah, I can see how you were pushed into that, you know, rage, you know, mentality. And like when, you know, pushed into this insanity level, when someone is like making you insane and then you lash out. Like, she's like, okay, I get it. 
I forgive you. And I was like, okay, dope. Great. <laughs> like, let's be friends again. But, right. you know, it was definitely like it got to, it just blew up. And then, you know, whenever it blew up, it just like really blew up. And so it was definitely like a wave. And it, it got to the point where I was like, all right, I'm getting my clothes and I'm getting the fuck out. Like, I will leave, you know, my furniture and, you know, my computers and my books and everything like that. Like, I just need to get some clothes and some shoes and I need to just get out and regroup and then I'm going to come back for my shit. Um, And so, like, I just needed to get out. And so that was the day that I left and it was the day after my birthday. And I went back to my mom's house. It sounds like the entire time during the relationship, he was he, he was holding something over you. Um, in the beginning, he he gave you this huge love bomb where he just flooded you with attention and and affection and all of the things that you were missing and craving. And as an addict, as a as a person that's a, an alcoholic in recovery, um, it it resonates very very well with me in terms of like what would happen if you gave a, a, a laboratory rat or somebody like heroin, just massive doses of heroin, and then suddenly said like, oh well, if you don't do this trick, I'm not going to give you your heroin. Yes. And- oh my gosh, that's exactly the relationship. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. That's- so he would, yeah. So he would give you this whole, th- like your hit, he, he got you yeah. addicted to his attention and then he would go, well, I'm not going to pay attention to you unless you change. Yeah. I'm not going to pay attention to you unless you like what I like. I'm, I'm going to ignore you all night and then I'm just going to take what I want. Yep. And cause, cause that's owed me. Yep. I'm, I'm do that. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he says that it's okay that that you're going to be a little bit more financially reliant on him that he's got everything covered but in some sense whether whether it was after the relationship was over and he was like you know what if she's going to break up with me I want this money or whether it was before that and intentional or even subliminal if he was still keeping score regardless he, he was, was he was keeping score. yes he was keeping a score and a ledger and it anytime I think anytime that somebody does that to us, it's it's going to be unfair. In anytime I entrust someone with uh, a secret from my past or vulnerability or whatever it is, if they're going to keep a, a ledger of it and then use it later to hurt me, yeah. that is not a good person to no. have in our lives. Uh, no, no, not at all. And that's whenever I kind of like was you know enlightened to his true colors. And that's whenever, like, everything in my body was, like, saying, like, get the fuck out, Emily. Like, get out, get out, get out. And um, once I did, I felt, you know, completely free. And, you know, it's taken me a while. But a month went by. And so we were, like, dating a little bit after I'd moved out. And then it got to the point where, you know... We were over whenever I moved out. He was just like, if you like, because I had even brought up the solution of like, can we still date? But I live at home. And he said, no. And I was like, why? And he's just like, I am ready to settle down. I'm ready to get married and have kids and, you know, this, that and the third. And, you know, if you're going to move out, then we're not going to be together. And I was like, well, what's wrong with taking some space? And Mm -hmm. it was because then he wouldn't have that hold over me. He wouldn't have that, you know, oh, well, I can take sex from you or, you know, any kind of validation from you whenever I want. And 
you know, oh, I can't keep an eye on you. I can't control you. I can't, you know, kind of mold you. I, I don't have this control to mold you anymore because you're out, like, you know? And so I... It also triggers his feelings of abandonment it, and, and his anxiety. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, he probably thought, you know, that I was going to, like, go off and cheat and, like, he wouldn't know about it. And so to him, it's just like, oh, you're going to leave me. You're going to cheat on me. And, you know, it was he's such a broken individual that, you know, I even talked to him about, you know, going and seeing a therapist and talking about his issues. And he would always make excuses like it's, oh, it's too expensive. And I'm like, yeah, you're sitting here wasting hundreds of dollars on a limited edition PS4 that you're never, ever going to take out of the box. And you only use Hmm. it as display. Like you're blowing all your money on this, that, and the third, but you're not investing that money into yourself, into your mental health and, you know, your emotional health, which I think is one of the smartest investments anyone can do um, is just therapy and talking to people. You know, I think that that's, it it has definitely helped me and I'm such a big advocate for therapy. Um, And I remember, you know, my therapist has been working really, really hard with me in the coming months um, or in the months after, you know, we broke up because it was really hard for me um, to kind of get over the hill. And I still struggle with it every single day. Like I work at Chewy's in Round Rock and, you know, he works right around the corner from there. Like anytime, you know, he can get dinner with a coworker after work at Chewy's and like, I'll see him there. Like, and I, I remember like there was a guy that looked exactly like him that came into the restaurant, but it wasn't him. And I felt my stomach literally drop to the floor and my heart it felt like it stopped. And I just know that the next time I see him, I'm going to have a panic attack. Like I am deathly afraid of this individual um, because I trusted him with so much and all of that was shit on. And, you know, I, I've been trying to hold compassion in my heart and, you know, forgive because we ended the relationship in December because, you know, we broke up for the month of October and then we got back together because I was like an addict like you know all of a sudden I had all this attention and I was in you know invested into this life and then all of a sudden it was just gone like it was there one day and gone the next and um I felt so weird to me I was just like I missed him and you're at least I thought I did and you know I thought okay we just needed space and then we got back together and only to find out like a couple of weeks ago that he was cheating on me with his ex-girlfriend <laughs> and the one that he wanted you to be the whole time exactly and so well he was texting her and you know he would say like you can't talk to kellen or you can't talk to wesley but then whenever we would spend time together he would text her right in front of me and then whenever i'd ask the same thing he would say no because it's not like that we're just friends And I'm like, then don't ask me to do something that you aren't comfortable yourself doing. Like, this is ridiculous. And so it got to the point, like, I think I was supposed to spend a week at his house for the week of Christmas. Like, he wanted to take Christmas away from my family. And he wanted that whole week with me. And I remember I broke up with him a couple days before Christmas. And then I went to a festival with another guy. (laughs) Like it was, you know, it was kind of like a ruthless breakup. But, you know, 
at that point, I was already pretty much done because I had gotten back to work and, you know, I was feeling, you know, a lot more independent, a lot more like myself, too. I was living at home and, you know, I was fixing, you know, the relationship that I had with my mom that I just destroyed months prior to that. And, you know, I was just focused on rebuilding, you know, my friendships and I got really close with my coworkers. And so I just started to feel normal and more like myself. And then I realized just how trapped and how awful going back to that situation was. And I just decided to end it. And then, you know, he went back to his ex and I started dating someone pretty immediately after that breakup who was just so sweet and so normal. And it just felt so nice. And, you know, but that didn't really last that long either. And so, um, people don't really talk about the anger and, you know, the guilt and, you know, the injustice of it all whenever you leave an abusive, toxic relationship like that. Like, there are still days where I get so mad and I want to go and slash his tires. Like, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. Well, I would imagine there are parts of it that still hurt. Do do you feel like you ever got the chance to, um, in, I mean, in as healthy a way as possible, uh, talk to him and, and say, these are the things that in my mind went wrong in their relationship. These are the things that in my mind I did that contributed to it going wrong. And these are the things that I blame you for, but I forgive you for that you did wrong and, and maybe reach some part of like some I uh, some semblance of closure it's never gonna happen honestly and I mean as much as I'd like to kind of open the conversation and you know say like these are the things that I could have done differently and you know I can see how in this instance you know I didn't react in the way that I should have it's just ultimately not gonna be you know an option because he still talks about me to Sandy and he's like, if you see this car, you know, it's, it's Emily and I want you to flip her off for me. I'll pay you 20 bucks. Like, you know, <laughs> like he'll, he'll, he'll like Sandy told me that. And I was like, what the fuck? And she was just like, yeah, he'll like still talk about you. And I'm like, doesn't wow. he have a new girlfriend now? Like, like this is just insane. And so I was, you know, it, Which just goes to show whatever whatever person he's with, he's not completely present with no, them. No, exactly. He's still hung up on you, and when he was with you, he was still hung up on her. Yeah. And it was just, it was, he's just never happy where he is. He always thinks he's going to be happy somewhere else or in this relationship or until he finds this person. And he keeps coming up short. And, you know, I, I honestly feel really bad for the dude because like he tries so hard and he really does, but it's just like, dude, you have got some seriously awful behavior that you really need to look at and you really need to identify because his home life isn't very good either, but that's not my story to tell. And so I've kind of given up on the whole, you know, idea of getting closure with him because, you know, it's one, like I said, if I see him, I'm straight up going to have a panic attack. Like, I am so afraid of this person. And, you know, I feel bad for him. I wish him well, but closure and forgiveness, I've already decided that I'm going to have to, you know, find that on my own. And so, um, as much as I'd like to confront him and say, like, look, 
we were both so young and we still are so young. Like, you know, yeah, sure. You can go out and do whatever you want. And, you know, he's 21 now. Like you can go out, you can drink, you can do whatever you want. You pay your bills. Like you own your own car. You have a really nice job. Like you have all these things that make you a quote unquote adult, but you know, being like, act like being an adult and then thinking you're an, you're an adult are like two completely different things. So it's just kind of like, he thinks he's a lot older than he is. Like he's just got a lot of growing up to do. And he gets so offended whenever you even bring up stuff like that to even question his maturity. And, you know, cause he's had to be the person that a lot of people in his life go to. And I really relate to that. Cause in a sense that I am that same person, but he's also extremely privileged as well. And I don't even think he really understands or appreciates just how privileged of a person that he is. And so that's his journey. I've got my journey. You know, it's, there are still days I, I think about him every single day, but it's more so of a development. Cause I remember at first it was like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. I'm free. I can be myself. And I experienced this time of bliss, um, shortly after our breakup in December. But then afterwards I, was very angry because he threw away my art that, you know, I created and he held on to it. He wouldn't give it back to me and then he threw it away. And he would text me and, you know, try and like mess with me a little bit. And, you know, I think he still texts me, but I blocked him after he told me that um he threw away my art cuz I was like okay, like, we have nothing, we have nothing anymore. Like, that was the only reason why I would even entertain talking to you after a breakup was to get back my belongings. And so once I found out that he threw it away, I was like, okay, bye. Like, I'm gonna go, you know, hang out with my friends from work. But I didn't realize how, like, the trauma had affected me until maybe March of this year. I would, you know, be angry and I would lash out at my then current boyfriend. Um, and, you know, he would get, you know, really upset and wonder, you know, what was wrong. And he was so sweet. Like, I feel so bad for um, my boyfriend after Jared because, like, he was so patient with me. And I was just, you know, just still hung up and angry and dealing with all these emotions and, you know, trying to process them and, you know, thinking that I was, you know, a lot farther in my healing process than I was. And, you know, I definitely should have waited until I was maybe even at this state of like acceptance and, you know, letting go of that pain. And like, you know, it's not my job to, you know, bring justice, you know, to this person or to give him back his karma. Like the universe is going to do its way with him. And, you know, he is, he's going to piss off the universe and people so much like, you know, there will be a day when his justice will come. It's just not going to be at my hands. But what I am going to do is I'm going to forgive him, not just for him. I'm doing it for me, like entirely, because I don't want to hold any bitter or resentment in my heart whatsoever you know I've got a life to live and you know I've got a lot of things that you know I'm actually currently working on with my own mental and emotional development that 
I would not have come to if I hadn't gone through that relationship. So yes, it sucked. And yes, it hurt. But, you know, it made me a stronger person. And it made me kind of trust in myself and my abilities. And it also maxed out my bullshit meter. Like, now whenever I see these signs, I'm like, all right, that's bullshit. Like, I'm leaving. Like, or get get out of my life. Like, do not come into my life and try and play these games with me. Like, you have no idea what I've been through, you know. And so I can now, like, recognize the signs and I can know never to be swept up in anything like that ever again. Well, hopefully he has learned. I, I don't know if he's learned it yet, but hopefully he will learn to address some of his insecurities, to uh, be a person that that g- gives and, and receives in equal measure, like have a mutually giving relationship, um, to treat his partners with respect and to also demand that respect in return. And also that he learns how to have critical conversations, how to, how to talk in, in respectful ways when he's feeling one of his insecurities rise up when, when, when he's struggling with whatever he's struggling with and how to make the other person feel like a priority. Cause it sounded like you felt very dismissed and, and very kind of invisible a lot of the time when, when you lived there, hopefully he'll learn these things and he'll uh, have a successful relationship with his new partner or with, with a future partner. What is next for you? Like you noticed that you were you were acting out and lashing out a little bit in your in your last relationship, and you mentioned that if you saw this 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 ex at some point that you might have a heart attack, that you would have a panic attack. What is next for you to where you can come to peace with? It doesn't matter if you ever see this person again; they have no power over you. And you mentioned that you're doing a better job now of of eliminating negative people from your life early on of noticing red flags, but you also still want love and intimacy and and you would like to welcome somebody into your life, into your heart. So how do you want to thread that needle? Um, So I, that is actually something that I've been thinking about lately. And, you know, I finally now have this opportunity where I am in this space and instead of, you know, looking for something outside of me to stitch me back together, whether it be like a person or a group of people or a friend or anything like that, which I think is very helpful. I'm now in this space where I am, you know, stitching back my heart and I'm stitching myself back together after, you know, completely losing myself in that relationship. And, you know, my relationship after that, I think I just wanted something. I just think I just wanted to feel normal again and be with a normal person. And that was one of the biggest driving factors, you know, why I was with the person immediately after that. Also, festivals are just you know, you're in a different world. So we were in Dallas together. And, you know, we, you know, I had always kind of thought he was cute at work. And then it wasn't until we were like alone and actually getting to know each other where it was just like, oh, my gosh, you're normal. I'm like, you think I'm normal. And, you know, it's great. But what's next for me, I guess, is I'm just in this space right now, just really, you know, processing, you know, my feelings and my emotions. And I am taking the time. I've been journaling a lot. I've been, you know, listening to music. I've been writing. Um, I'm kind of in the process of either, you know, I'm still deciding if I want to start a podcast of my own and talk about, you know, issues like this, or if I want to write a book about, you know, this weird stage of life, because not only am I dealing with what I want to go forward next in my love life, but what I want to do in just my own life, you know, where it is exactly that I want to go and how do I want to approach it. 
and especially in the age of social media with, you know, everyone constantly comparing one another. And, you know, like, I know a lot of people that I went to school with, like half of them are married and have kids. And I'm like, guys, we're 22. What the hell? And then other people are like living this awesome startup, you know, company life and it being a success. And then other people are traveling the world and making a shit ton of money. And it's, it's so overwhelming and you just kind of feel left behind. So I'm kind of at this point where I'm like, all right, well, maybe it's okay to feel a little left behind until, you know, you figure out what it is that is going to be next for you and kind of, you know, waiting for, you know, kind of preparing until that opportunity comes along, like, kind of, you know, that cliche, like, you'll know when you know, and Mm -hmm. whether that be like a person or, you know, an opportunity in my career, um, I'm just kind of taking the time to kind of like absorb and learn information. Like I'm in school right now, I pay for it out of pocket. And so I'm just, especially during this pandemic time, you know, I am, just learning as much as I possibly can so that hopefully whenever things kind of come back to normal, I can, you know, hit the ground running and, you know, kind of like stand loud and stand proud and scream out to the world. Like, this is who I am. This is me. This is what I have to say. And, you know, this is what I've learned. And, you know, maybe someone else has felt this way too. And, you know, maybe we don't have to be alone together or, you know, I, I also want a relationship like Dom and Sandy's, which is a true Nick and Jess relationship from New Girl. Like, you know, seeing something like beautiful, like a true love scenario happen in front of you. And, you know, of course you want it. Like, I know I definitely want that. You know, I'm a product of divorce. I, you know, I want to fall in love. I want to get married. And I'm kind of at this point now where I realize I've never really been in love. I've never I've always been in lust and like and infatuated. I haven't been in love with someone. And, you know, I just, I will either go for the first guy that, you know, comes along that shows interest in me or, you know, I'll pine after someone that's not available. And I'm just kind of at this point where dating today is so strange that I'm just going to wait until, you know, it flows and it comes naturally and, I'm I'm looking for that person that I can be totally and completely myself with. And but until then I what's next for me is healing and stitching myself back up. Um so that when that person comes along I know what to do and I can give and I can be vulnerable without any fear and I can trust that you know they're not going to leave or whenever they see all of who I am that they're not just going to, you know, book it. And so that's just kind of what's really next for me in terms of, you know, my life and my relationships. I mean, it sounds like you're doing all of the hard work. It sounds like it really, you really remind me of uh, that character, Sally from the nightmare before Christmas, uh, where she stitches herself together and Mm -hmm. uh, she poisons the guy and gets the hell out of the house. And uh, I I love that film with Jack. So good. It's just so good. And you're doing all of the hard work. Huh? I still can't tell if it's a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie. <laughs> I, the answer is yes. Yeah, <laughs> to both. <laughs> to, to both. I, I mean, you're doing you're doing all of the things that you can do, and you're staying open to things that the world has to teach you and things that'll come your way. Um, I love how you have these reasonable. Um, expectations of the world around you. Maybe some great startup will come your way. Maybe you'll write a book. Maybe you want to do a podcast. 
in any of these endeavors, I think you'll be amazingly successful because you are able to communicate and able to articulate your feelings and your passions and your desires so well. And I can tell already, even at your age, your young age, um, that you take every experience that you go through and you add it to your arsenal as something else that you've learned about yourself. You go to therapy, you run it by somebody else for sanity checking, you learn what you can. Yeah. And, and you, and you, and you move on and you do better the the next time. I, I think, I think you're in this incredibly healthy space and that just really good things are are there for you. And I want you to know that I am in your corner, Um, especially the people that I care about, the people that they vouch for goes very far with me. So I am definitely in your corner. If there's anything that I can do to help you along that road um, to, uh, to help you be successful and to help you kill some of those imposter syndrome thoughts that, that, oh, maybe I couldn't do a podcast or maybe I couldn't do this or that. Um, the, not only myself, but there are a lot of people out there that, that will support you in those things. Um, but I think you're going to kick some ass. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Whenever Sandy had asked me, you know, like, Hey, would you be comfortable talking on a podcast? I just remember thinking, um, absolutely. I get to talk to people. I love talking to people. I am such a social person. And she's just like, okay, well, can you just make sure not to mention like me or Dom? And I'm like, well, I can't, I already know I want to talk about Jared and like, I can't do that, but like, I won't really get into like the nitty gritty, you know, I guess like, I'm just going to be like, yeah, y'all are a true love case. And like, screw you. Like you guys have found your person. Okay. Like I'm so happy for you, but I'm lonely. (laughs) And so (laughs) like, I actually am happy for you and you suck. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I love you, but like, um, you're so happy. And, (laughs) um, I want that uh, so that we can go on double dates. Like, that's all I want. I just want to go on double date. And so, you know, they're just they're just amazing people and they're an amazing couple. But yeah, I definitely really want to start a podcast. It's right now between a podcast and a book. And, you know, I'm having trouble, you know, figuring out what it is that I want to talk about. I mean, I know what, I'm, what I want to talk about, but, you know, just kind of like, you know, okay, well, the little itty bitty details of that are probably where I'm getting hung up. And then, you know, the self doubt kind of comes in and, you know, the, Oh, well, who would want to hear your voice? Like you're just a, you know, 22, 23 year old, you know, like you're so young. What do you have to say? But it's just like, no, I was like, I kind of feel like I had to grow up really quickly, you know, in my life. Um, You know, I had, you know, issues with my mom and my dad, you know, they, during their custody battle when I was younger was very, very hard. And, um, you know, kind of whenever I was in sixth grade, I remember telling my mom how to do her finances and she got laid off and I had to give her my computer. Like I had to sacrifice so many things growing up and it wasn't until high school that really, um, I was like, you know, screw this. I want to be a kid. Like I want to enjoy marching band and, you know, I want to, you know, just be me and I want to figure it out. And, that got me into a lot of trouble. <laughs> nobody, nobody enjoys marching band because we had to be at school two weeks before everybody else, and no, then you have to be out I on the concrete How are marching. You saying this, I was so in love with it. <laughs> and, and then we had to wear the outfits on the bus ride oh, to man, the football the games. The 
Fucking bibbers. Those are nice. <laughs> oh, and don't forget the dinkles. Don't forget the dinkle shoes. Uh, I Oh my god. I cannot like just saying the names of the uniforms, like the classic like bibbers and the dinkles. Like these are some of the weirdest words I've ever had to say. But like I I loved marching band like that month before, you know, school starts and you're out there on the hot asphalt and like, you know, Texas heat and you're just like vibing out and getting weird with like 200 of your bestest friends. And I love that. <laughs> I love that. I loved being a part of something bigger than what I was. And, you know, marching band was definitely one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had um, like that. Um yeah, I definitely found my home in that. But even then I had to sacrifice that, you know, financial independence over, you know, my passion. I wanted to, you know, become financially independent. I wanted to start saving up money. I wanted to stop relying on my parents so much. So I like had to sacrifice my passion and my love of, you know, band and, you know, marching band to, uh, you know, work more after school, you know, get paid. And that was, one of the biggest regrets in my entire life because I would have loved to get my uh, Letterman jacket. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. I didn't get yeah. it. Got to get four years to get the cool jacket. I gave three. Well, I will tell you, I'll tell you one of the only things I've learned in 41 years. And that is that it is way easier to find people that are in your tribe by instead of going around from person to person and asking, do you like Shakespeare? Do you like Shakespeare? Do you like theater? Are, are you into marching band? Are you into <laughs> and trying to find people that are into the same shit that you are? Just get up on whatever raised platform is around and deliver a fucking monologue because the people that are into it will come to you. They will come to find you. They will want to talk to you afterwards. They, your people will find you. So if you just own that voice and if you just keep following what you're thinking about doing in any of these endeavors, people, your people will find you. Yeah, I I definitely, I, yeah, I actually uh, just came to that realization myself, like in this whole like bubble of self healing, you know, stitch back my heart together. I've kind of, you know, realized, you know what, I want to say something to the world and I want my people to come to me. Like, you know, for so long, I've just been going up to like groups of people and I'm like, Hey, you know, are you into this? Okay, cool. We're best friends. Oh wait, no, we're not like, you know, and then, okay, next group. Like I'm kind of like a drifter friend where I go from like group to group to group. Like I've got my rave friends, I've got my super nerdy friends. And then I've got, you know, the music lover friends. And then I don't really have like a set group of friends that like, you know, I kind of call my own, you know, I grew up watching that 70s show and I'm like, man, I want a friend group like that. Like just any of these like awesome friend group sitcoms. Like I was like, man, I want to find my people. I want to find my tribe. And now I'm just kind of at the point where I'm like, I so desperately want it that it put, that it makes people like, you know, not invite me to things. And that's, you know, kind of something that I'm dealing with in my current friend group, you know, not being invited to, you know, hangouts anymore and, you know, feeling like I've been taken advantage of. And I'm like, okay, well, screw this. This really fucking sucks. Like, I am now at the point where it's like, I'm trying so hard to be there for people and, you know, be a good friend to people, but it's just not working out. And like, I'm, I know what I'm avoiding. I'm avoiding being alone and being left, but I'm, I kind of had to like swallow the bitterest pill 
and realize like, well, you're already alone. You're already miserable. You're already, you know, in this. So now what? I was like, all right, um, I'm going to do me and I'm going to stand here and I'm like just going to yell or like play some Fleetwood Mac and whoever wants to come and hang out with me, like that's fine. But until then, I'm going to, you know, paint with my mom or watch, you know, stupid movies with her and cuddle with, you know, my cat and I'm going to just vibe out over here. That's a pretty good life. Yeah. No, honestly, like me and my mom have not had, we had a good relationship when I was younger. And then, you know, as I got older, I'm her only kid. And she realized like, oh my gosh, you want to go off into the world and like leave me? Like, no, she got empty nest syndrome, but how she reacted was not cool. Um, And we were not okay for a couple of years. And then now it's like, now that I'm getting older and, you know, I'm like, Hey mom, no, like actually you're my best friend. People out here are scary. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm just kind of like, ah, ah, okay. Like I get it. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done trying to, you know, I'm going to go out to the world when I feel a little bit more secure and I'm not just, everything is like a knee jerk reaction from some negative emotion that I'm feeling. Like, you know, I would always do this, you know, I would react whenever I'd get negative feelings or I drink or party or anything like that instead of actually like allowing them to like move through me and knowing that, okay, these negative feelings are going to pass. You will be happy. You will find your, you know, people. This is a learning experience and then you'll know better next time. And, you know, if the same situation keeps happening, then maybe stop hanging out with the same type of people, but with different faces, like, you know, (laughs) Like, it's just like running yourself into a loop until you're just like, okay, I'm done with this loop. Like, let's do something else. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Six Flags is fun, but eventually I want to leave. Exactly. It's just like, okay, how many times can we ride these rides? You know, bet you. (laughs) I can't. I can't sustain on uh, on cotton candy forever. Like it, it's delicious, yeah. but but then eventually, eventually, I need some real food. Exactly, and like you know, they've got real food at that park, but it's mainly yeah, like you said, there's churros, there's you know, funnel cake, there's <laughs> cotton candy, there's popcorn, and you're just like, okay, well, I want um, some chicken or like a sandwich or you know something more sustaining. Like this is fun and all, but let's let's go home. <laughs> It, it, I, I'm, I'm about to go and, and, and spend some time in the country this weekend. And I was just thinking about floating the river and I've only floated the river once sober. And, uh, the one time I floated the river sober, I just, every, of course, everybody around me is in tubes and they're all drunk as hell. And it just, <laughs> or, 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 or just completely tripping. Yes. Yeah. And there's, there's always that one person in the party and it was their responsibility to have the tube with the cooler in it. And <laughs> yes. they're supposed to, they're supposed to not lose it. And then and they then totally they're usually lose the it. guy with the speaker too. <laughs> yes. And they're, since they have the cooler, they have the most access to the booze, so they oh, get yeah. drunk the fastest. Oh, yeah. So so that person is always like flailing around, has no tube. And I, the last time I went, I was just like, you know what? This should be a lazy river like at Schlitterbahn where these people are just going in a circle because that's what they're doing with yeah. their life. They just they do this over and over and over and they're numb the whole time and they don't even notice that they pass the same thing 15 times. Yes. They just it's the same thing over and over. Yeah. But once you once you stop, you put down the drink or you step out of the water or you just break the cycle somehow and say, you know, I'm done with that. 
then you immediately realize, wait, I, it took me fucking, I went around 20 times yeah. before I realized I want to get, I want to get out of here. Yeah. Most people never get out of there. Yeah. You said that actually so beautifully. And I really love the way that you said that because I feel like I'm kind of in this space right now in my life where I've got a lot of friends at work. Like I love my friends at work, but all they do is like run around in circles. Like, you know, hey, let's go to the green belt. Let's drink at the green belt or let's bring a, br- a blunt or let's trip. And they just do that constantly. And it's a loop. It's like they work and then just to get as fucked up as possible. And then they're just numb. Like and there's no realness. And I remember when I think I started realizing like, oh my gosh, I'm passing, you know, the same tree like so many times. And I just remember it was one night and it was two or three years ago. I was having a conversation with this person at a bar and he was asking me, you know, um, you know, what I was doing with my life, what I was interested in, like, like trying to instigate like a real conversation. And I remember the only thing that I could talk about, the only thing that I wanted to talk about was how fucked up I was, or I had stories of how fucked up I was on this substance and where I was like, and then you hear yourself talking about it. And then you watch someone lose interest in you because all you can talk about is like partying drugs, how fucked up you were. And then you just realize like, Oh, wow what the fuck am I doing? Like, I, I am like the poster child for like, let's have a fucking real conversation. Like, I am so authentic and like, want to get into that nitty gritty raw, like, let's have an actual conversation. Let's get passionate about what we're talking about. Let's have a debate. Like, you know, I want to hear what your opinions are. And hell, like, better yet, if they're different than mine, let's debate about that. Like, I am that kind of person. And so for me, in that situation, I was like, Oh, okay. And then I started, I slowly stopped doing that. And I started, you know, watching and hearing other people's conversations around me. And it was the same thing. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like it got boring after a while. I was like, all right, we're talking about the same things. We're doing the same things. And, you know, like we all say we're happy, but usually like some drama happens. Someone says some shit they don't mean. They get angry. Someone does something stupid and gets hurt. Like it's fun every once in a while. But, you know, when people take it to such an extreme and such an excess, like you can really get lost in it. And so I remember what I did to get out of it was I went back to school. I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm going to just bite the bullet, pay out of pocket for, you know, college. Like, I want to talk about something else. I want to be with more like-minded people. I want to fill my head with, you know, better things other than just partying and, you know, relationship drama and, you know, tripping. Like, because I had done a shit ton of drugs. And um, I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get done with this. Well, I also had to, like, it was like a law thing. I I'd gotten arrested with a DWI when I was 20 and, you know, I couldn't really do that stuff anymore. So I was like, all right, might as well go back to school. Like I've got nothing to do right now. Like I can't really party. And so it kind of like pushed me in the right direction, actually. Um, it, it definitely woke me up to like, oh, is this the person you want to be? Is this the kind of, you know, life you want to lead? Like going to jail all the time for getting super fucked up and I was like, no, that's not who I want to be. That's not, you know, necessarily what I want to do. And um, I just, you know, I changed. And then once I got back into school, I 
started talking to people like fellow music lovers because I was taking music classes and, you know, I was communicating with people and like actually, you know, interested in the things that I was studying. Granted, I changed my major two times, but um, I've, I think <laughs> I finally like made it to where because I, I hope to one day own my own uh, record label. And um, I guess my first tangible step towards that is like an artist manager. So that's kind of what I'm going to school for right now, which is music business. Um, and, you know, it has been the one thing that has made me like truly happy and sane. Like, I know during this quarantine, I definitely uh, referred back to my partying, like, you know, loop, like, let's just do this all the time. Because I was, you know, it was like a, it was like a habit at that point. Like, oh, I'm not feeling too good. Like, this relationship with Jared really fucked me up. Like, I feel, you know, like I'm worthless, even though I know that I'm not. And I knew then that I wasn't. But, you know, it was like, hearing, you know, his words, like in my head, it like, I didn't want to hear them anymore. I just wanted to be numb. I wanted to turn everything off. And it wasn't until like a couple weeks ago when I was like, all right, yeah, no, I'm done with this again. Like, it doesn't feel good anymore. <laughs> like I'm cold. I'm pruny. I want to get out of the water. <laughs> I want to get out of this, you know, lazy river of partying. And that's <laughs> kind of like where I'm trying to go. I'm trying to swim towards land right now get out of the water. I think, I think you're doing it. I, I will give you a pro tip before we leave. Uh, you, if you, if you would like to get uh, catapulted into being a music producer and into managing musical talent, um, look up prism.fm. It's a website made by a group of developers here in town. I actually coded part of it. Um, and they launched a, a website. It is backed by the owner of the Empire Control Room. Uh, <gasps> I'm no, he's he's actually he's actually one of the uh, one of the people on the team, and one of the I guess he's a founder. Um, but uh, it it the, it's software specifically around booking and managing talent, getting people the right amount of money for the gig that they signed up for, making invoicing super easy for venues, and being able to manage multiple stages at a single venue at a time with calendars and with uh, with with bookings, and then it actually gives people that run venues insight into whether a show was profitable for them or not. So everybody these days in Austin is using prism.fm in order to send musicians their invoice of this is how much you're going to be paid. And in order to send the, in, the, the invoice to that, uh, to that venue and say, this is how much you need to pay my musicians. And if you're using it for just an individual, I bet you can get a free license and you can definitely go to the website prism.fm and, and get a free demo. Okay, so it would be like a, I would be the manager or like, yes. Oh, okay. You, you'd you'd be the manager. So if you have some bands that you want to represent, you would use Prism and you would send you would you'd call these different venues and you would send them your invoices with Prism and be like, okay, how much are we going to get paid and and when are we going to get scheduled and everything and it would help you keep track of all of that. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. Oh my gosh, automated talent buying and venue management. Cool. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> I think you're going to kick ass in whatever you decide to do. Well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you for sharing your story with me today. I really appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. And I appreciate it all was, of your... It was just, um, you know, a, a section of my story, but I think it was definitely the most um, transformative part of my story, at least. Uh, the, the past two years have been a little all over the place. <laughs> 
You've got to come back and uh, and join me for a, a couple of group sessions when we have like you and Sandy on and Dom and have like all three uh, discuss something around how we how we can go about uh, connecting with our friends during this time or some of the other subjects that I want to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I would definitely love to come back on the show and talk again. It can be intoxicating when someone else believes in us and holds us up, when they shower us with affection and make us feel seen and heard for the first time in a long while. But nothing is quite like finding our own voice, being surrounded with people that we appreciate as much as they appreciate us and we appreciate ourselves. I appreciate all of you today and for your company in this journey as we share these stories. If you enjoyed listening to Emily's tale today, please consider writing us a review and following us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much wherever you can find podcasts these days. If you would like to be a guest on the show, please email me at show at thedatingdebrief.com.